Welcome to this episode of Heart Failure and Focus. I'm your host, Muthu Vanaganathan, and this podcast is hosted by Radcliffe Medical Education and is supported through an unrestricted educational grant from AstraZeneca. Please note this podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. We have a treat of an episode ahead focused on heart failure in primary care. Um, and it's really a pleasure and honor to introduce you to Professor Xavier Koss, who's an associate professor of medicine at Autonomous University of Barcelona. He's a general practitioner and innovation officer in Barcelona and currently serves as the chairman of the Primary Care Diabetes Europe. So I'm going to lay the foundation here, um, and it's a dialogue that many of us have been having in our own communities worldwide. Heart failure, of course, is recognized as having an enormous public health burden uh, at the population level. And despite that, and despite the availability of new treatment options, the access to specialty care is quite variable and quite limited, especially in certain regions. As such, most patients worldwide with heart failure are treated in primary care. So really it sets up an, the importance of, at a very early time point in the trajectory of heart failure, for primary care clinicians to be able to identify, screen, and manage heart failure um, in in their local uh, treatment setting. So, let me let's let's start out. You know, what is the importance of early detection of heart failure in primary care? Thank you very much, Mutu. I I think that is is really relevant because uh, we know that the idea is trying to detect healthcare problems as early as possible when we have effective solutions and tools to, to, to use in that specific situations. In the case of a heart failure, it's clear. Uh, the early detection of the heart failure allows us to provide that medications that now we have evidence-based treatments that allow us to know that, that they are effective. And I think that using that compounds at the end, it will be reducing also healthcare costs, and also it will be increasing survival and also quality of life. So I think it has plenty of sense to be proactive on that approach. You know, we've seen some of the numbers in terms of what um, uh, has been published about prevalence of heart failure. Is that your sense, you know, um, in terms of the catchment of patients you see in clinical practice that heart failure has a high burden at the local level? I think it's, um, I mean, uh, I think now healthcare professionals start to be more aware about that because they, I mean, in the last maybe 10 or 12 years, I see like uh, a kind of uh, higher interest around the heart failure. And that it means that the healthcare professionals are more concerned about the importance and also because probably what, as you said before, what we are mainly detecting and managing are those patients that are already have symptoms and they have been admitted and discharged from ER and from hospitalization. And they requires a very tight approach uh, in terms of medication and follow-up. And in some countries, health primary care has been more muscle, more robust in terms to manage that persons trying to avoid 
readmissions at hospital. And also, uh, it's important to consider that the most uh, common phenotype of um, heart failure in primary care is the heart failure would reduce ejection uh, fraction. So I think it's it's um, it's important that of course we need we have to take this into account, and for that reason we need to be very familiar which one are the medications, which one are the solutions, and try to use that ones at the appropriate time. And so you've already alluded to some of the strategies that you may employ in clinical practice of of how you identify patients with incident heart failure. These are patients who may present with subtle symptoms, but you may be clued in to the diagnosis of heart failure. I heard you mention recent hospitalizations. Of course, those who are hospitalized for heart failure or have been treated in the hospital setting for heart failure, those patients um, we need to intensively treat. But I'm curious if you have any other practical tips of identifying um, perhaps red flags for individuals who are at risk in the community for heart failure? Uh, this is a very appropriate question. Do you know why? Because when a person used to ask for an encounter to a, a specialist in primary care, it's very uh, rare that the citizen is coming to our clinic just for one reason. The person asked to an appointment for different uh, reasons of encounter, maybe a flu injection or also some other abdominal problem, joint pain, pain, joint pain, other things. But of course, that it means that you need to have in your mind, in the dialogue, in the communication skills, a kind of a rudder, a detector that allow us to keep in mind that when a patient provides any symptoms of a spectrum around breathlessness, about some fatigue, about ankle swelling, uh, about uh, some kind of, uh, these is aspects that you must to illuminate internally and put your light in orange to see, okay, maybe my interview now have to be readdressed, redirected to the hair failure uh, directly and to uh, discriminate if this person in, in the spectrum of reasons of encounter he's bringing to me today in this visit, it is also another aspect pro that I need to be more, um, I mean, uh, aware. I need to be more connected. And I think this breathlessness, fatigue, ankle swelling, all of these aspects, I think are key aspects to keep in, con in mind, of course, then when you do the examination, then when you, it's also important to keep that is you have uh, elevated jugular venous uh, pressure, when you have also um, other aspects that you can, uh, when you are doing the, the pulmonary crackles, the peripheral edema, other aspects that in the examination, you are proactive to explore and to see if they are present or not present. But it's clear that the, um, you need to be alerted that when a person is like providing some kind of messages like breathlessness, fatigue, you know, other comorbidities in that person. So keep in mind that probably you have to do a very proactive interview of these aspects and of course the examination. Perfect. So clearly a central role for that, that, that initial step in diagnostic evaluation of, of assessing signs and symptoms of heart failure. 
So I'm going to push us forward here for, especially for our listeners. So as a next diagnostic step, if you have sufficient evidence in terms of signs and symptoms of heart failure, and you want to move that diagnostic process forward, um, how, uh, how common is it that you are ordering, for instance, an echocardiogram or mm-hmm. a, uh, a laboratory measure like an N- NT pro BNP or a BNP measure? Um, uh, uh, or is that, are those tests generally restricted to specialty care, for instance, if they're referred? Um, I know that for now, actually, of course, I can refer the patient for an echo, echocardiogram. It's not a problem in the last years. And now I have also have the possibility in some centers to do the peptide as well. So the pro, the BMP or the NT pro BMP also in, in centers are available. The thing is that when you are suspecting um, that situation, you need to keep clear what is the next steps in your setting. That's very, it's very, it's very important because it has no really sense that you are being a champion in your um, interviewing, in the, your dialogue, in your examination, and then you are not doing, you don't know what to do next. And that it will be uh, good for you in terms to avoid bottlenecks and to avoid something that is really a common aspect that is clinical inertia. Because and in, this is in our specialty in primary care is also complex because, as I said before, we have many reasons for in, in, in each encounter. And that makes that we have to style from all of this dialogue what are the crucial elements and where we have to react first, second, third. So I think that if you have this exercise and you fit, fit in, your, in your personal uh, performance in your in your center, uh, I think you can do it very well. Um, so now we are at the point, so in this pathway, as you had said nicely, in which we've diagnosed or have very high suspicion that this person has heart failure. And we've done the initial testing with an echocardiogram and a natriuretic peptide. So what next? Um, if you have a patient in front of you, do you take the initial steps in terms of management options? Um, do you refer the patient to a cardiovascular specialist or a heart failure specialist? What is that next step in your pathway? Uh, I mean, in my in my practice, uh, when I detect that situation, of course, according to what is uh, agreed on the pathway, I if uh, and I have not the knowledge, I manage myself. Because, but not everybody is really well, I mean, um, uh, experimented or maybe they feel comfortable. So in terms, if you don't feel comfortable, you have to use the mechanisms you have available, maybe referral, maybe share care sessions, maybe a telephone call with your specialist that you have available. Mm, or if you feel familiar, that's with that medications and that situation, that's not a problem. You are providing access to the medication and to the advice that the person requires. And you are also establishing a plan of a follow-up together with how the performance is done in your country. There are countries that there's an important relevance or in the nursing, nurses. So I think that also in some countries, pharmacies as, as also a key element of the 
how we are providing care in terms of adherence, in terms of um, follow-up of the symptoms. Also, I think education here is really relevant. We need to education for uh, healthcare professionals, specialists in primary care, being trained how to manage that situations, to know what are their limits, and then they have to refer to another level or to activate that kind of contacts that allow them not to be a bottlenecks. So we need we need we need to avoid as much as possible bottlenecks. We need to identify them and we need to react. That's the reason. And then according to that, maybe we need to organize, if we can manage that situation in the primary care setting, we need to know how the primary care setting is organized in each country, how we have to provide that support. Because it's not just to provide a medication, it's also to coach the person in to learn things about uh, what are the uh, um, reasons to consult again to the ER or come to the primary care setting or ask for a telephone appointment, what are the, the red flags for them. What are, so it, this requires time. This requires ordered education to provide to the citizen living with this chronic condition. And I think this is crucial because then we allocate the person as a owner of the problem, not we are the father and the mother of that situation. No, is the person who knows what is the situation and we coach that person in his or her new diagnosis. And we need be to be part of the solution, but the solution is all of us together working as a team. Yeah, I think that's such a clear and thoughtful message uh, to to our community. And unfortunately, I can I freely admit in heart failure, we are steps behind in that patient education and engagement piece. And um, I think we have taken more of a top down approach um, rather than one that you described that's more lateral. Sometimes what I think is we are very focused on the complexity, on the high technical things, and we are forgetting crucial aspects. And I think here, when we detect a person living with a, some kind of chronic condition, we need to incorporate the person in the solution of the problem, not as an external uh, visitor. That person living with that chronic condition is the center, is the center. But we need that is not just to be in our wording. Just as we have to be, to make this real. And that and this it means that we need to uh, to move a little bit far from the paternalistic approach that our profession trends to move forward, being very paternalistic, and we need to help our citizens to be out adults and to be owners and to uh, allow them to express, suffer, whatever. And we need to be there helping them and coaching them. And, you know, I was most excited about our conversation because you have this very unique population lens, um, especially in terms of uh, complex disease management in, in, um, in, in your country, in your local setting. And so I'm, I'm curious if you can share just a top tip, let's say, how do we make, um, how do we bridge this gap? Right now, there are chronic conditions like diabetes that are very effectively managed at the population level. Um, 
heart failure, I don't believe is quite there yet. So how do we as a heart failure community move this forward and help empower patients, for instance, to Im improve their self-management of heart failure, but then also raise the bar in which multiple clinicians also feel comfortable in managing at least the initial steps in heart failure care? I think we need to create alignment between all those professionals, healthcare persons around the person living with that condition. Uh, it's not, I think it's not a good business that a cardiologist or internal medicine or the primary care physician or the nurse in primary care are in silos. No, we need to be better organized. And this is our, this is our homework. We need to see how, how effective, how we could be just, not just, heart failure could be an example of an index disease, as, as you mentioned before, in diabetes. So what we learn from diabetes that we can translate into another problem like heart failure. I think I've been living with um, some exper experiences in my area where a doctor creates units. Um, uh, he was very motivated to create a shared care sessions uh, to the healthcare centers around the hospital and to create a very fast dialogue between the cardiologist and the primary care physician and also trying to create a very easy way to move uh, information with cardiologists, primary care, and not make the person as the messenger. No, we need to be very well organized and allow the person to know that everybody is informed, everybody part take up an important part of the actions to be taken around the, 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 this condition, but we are organized. And that is thanks to our dialogue, our internal previous work. And sometimes I think we are failing on that. That is a call of attention that we need to do that in a better approach. We need to incorporate the person living with a chronic condition in that kind of conversations, because we are also sometimes trying to look our solutions, but we are neglecting what are the expectations of the citizens living with a chronic condition and they are going to open us windows of opportunity that are, we, are going to be very successful because the patients are going to understand they are also an important piece of that puzzle. So I think it's, 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 it's crucial how we create alignment between, uh, in, in each place. And what I see here in, in, in my city, in Barcelona, is that there are some areas in the city they are working hard in terms to create alignment and they are doing very well. And they are having impact in terms of reducing mortality. And they are creating a kind of uh, interest on the on how to measure the peptides, to start using the echoes in the primary care setting. So and in other areas of the city of Barcelona, the rhythm is different. But I think we need to learn how these good practices are doing, why they, they achieve that, and do kind of benchmark that allow us to understand and to learn from that good practice. And that could happen in many places, in the US, in UK, in, in the Netherlands, in other countries. Identify that good practices, elevate that ones to make that visible, 
and try to understand what are the crucial factors that make that practices that successful and how what is the external validity of that practice that I, it could be implementable in my setting. Oh, one, wonderful advice. And um, uh, I, I myself was, was taking a couple of notes in terms of uh, uh, things we could carry forward. So I, I really, really appreciate this conversation. I think we, um, we, we had a uh, great discussion about the importance of early screening, early identification and treatment of these patients, um, the importance and critical importance of patient engagement at the center of this, um, and then from a population level to structure pathways to learn from, um, uh, from peer communities uh, and peer centers of excellence. Um, uh, and, and to most importantly, organize systems of care so that we can uh, uh, push heart failure management in primary care forward. So thank you uh, once again, uh, Chavi. It was uh, really a delight to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you once again for listening, and we look forward for you to tune in uh, in the near future. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode produced by Radcliffe Medical Education. This podcast series is supported through an unrestricted educational grant from AstraZeneca. Thank you again for listening and see you next month for the next episode.